0: Today's missing person is actually an international missing person. And sometimes I get into these. It's fascinating to me when someone leaves their country, goes to a new country and vanishes. We don't see that a lot in the U.S. where it's it's heavily reported on. And that's sort of the case here. Um, There's not a lot of heavy reporting. His case goes into NamUs March 23rd of 2010. Uh, His date of last contact was December 25th of 2006. Now, he uh, is a couple of things racially that um, put him into the other category of Namos. His height is between five nine and 6 foot. His weight 160 to 175. He's a male. And he would have been 44 years old on December 25th, 2006. If he were alive today, he'd be in a, his, his early 60s. Uh, this is MP5591, and it's the case of Leonard Taku, or Taku. He is from New Zealand. He goes by the nickname Leonard, L-E-N-N-I-D. Uh, he may be clean shaven. He has black hair, brown eyes. He has tattoos on both arms, both legs, his torso, and his buttocks. and The tattoos are in a checkered pattern. Uh, he was last seen driving a 2005 Chrysler crossfire convertible. That was silver. Uh, that was black. Excuse me. I don't know how I got silver out of that. Um, but that vehicle has since been recovered. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, Charlie project has him. Um, I've seen him a number of different places where people are talking about him. Probably, uh, where I was going to go, unless you have something specific, was to uh, Charlie Project and the New Zealand Herald, although Tampa Bay covered him, FDLE has a webpage on him, the New Zealand National News has an uh, article on him, Tampa Bay Fox 13, and the the New Zealand police actually have an active webpage for him. Do you find anything super interesting about his case when you were looking?
1: No, not really. Um, I... I think Charlie Project's a good place
0: to go. Okay. They add a little bit of detail here. Not a lot. They expand the height and weight to possibly being over six feet and up to 200 pounds. Uh, That's according to some of the the different descriptions. So they said he has a silver colored watch on his left wrist. Uh, They weren't sure about his clothing, but he usually wears a T-shirt, shorts, and walking shoes or sneakers. And He's usually carrying a backpack. I will note that in most of the old pictures I found online, on where he's shared on social media by people that seem to know him, he has uh, a very specific type of sunglasses, and like almost every picture, with uh, some variables, they're kind of like a expensive pair of they look like Oakley Blades kind of. It doesn't say that they're prescription. Uh, Charlie Project has six or eight pictures of him on there. Um, as do some of the other news articles. And they go into a little bit more description of him. So they characterize him as being a Pacific Islander male. They list out the tattoos as follows. A checkerboard pattern in circles on his upper right arm, a series of solid triangles with lines from elbow to wrist on his right arm, a zigzag pattern from elbow to wrist on his left arm. So they're describing sleeves here. He's got a tribal design with a swirling pattern on his legs from his knee to his thigh. He's got a Celtic design on his lower back and Gothic lettering on his upper back. His hair was shaved at the time of his disappearance. And he speaks with a New Zealand accent. Now, they say here sounds similar to a British accent. That's not, um, that's not ever been my impression of a New Zealand accent. I think it sounds more Australian. Uh, all of this kind of becomes irrelevant if he is no longer alive with us. But here's a description of the, of the details of his disappearance. Leonard was last seen at approximately 9 o'clock a.m. on December 25th, 2006, at a car rental agency at the Tampa International Airport. He rented a black 2005 Chrysler Crossfire convertible. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say that from what I found... That's actually his second trip to the airport. He goes back, and this is an extension on his rental contract. On December 26th, his credit card was used to purchase forty-six dollars worth of clothing at a Gap store in Altamonte Springs, Florida. His family believes that he bought these items um, because Leonard liked uh, clothing from the Gap. Someone checked his email on December the 28th, also 2006 his credit card was used to check into a luxury hotel in Orlando, Florida in January of 2007 but at this point his family doesn't believe he was using the card anymore. They stated that he would be much more likely to use a cheaper accommodation such as a hostel or a bed and breakfast. I'm going to file that in the maybe category because I I've I've traveled before where if I can't find a hostel or a bed and breakfast I end up in a nicer Hotel, particularly if I'm in an area that I'm doing something specific and I can't really go out of that area. Leonard's rental car ends up being found abandoned on February 9th, 2007, and it's in a remote part of the Akala National Forest near Little Lake George Wilderness area. It was found when the uh, Department of Agriculture was doing a controlled burn there. The vehicle was not damaged by the fire. But the area around it was destroyed uh, because of the way they recovered it. So that would have been the potential crime scene. There's no signs of a struggle or a foul play at the scene or in the vehicle. And there's also no indication of Leonard's whereabouts. Leonard is gay. and officials searching for him reached out to the Florida gay community. There was a slightly different temperament in the, uh, in this time period, like 2006, 2007, uh, particularly in Florida. There are some areas where this lifestyle and community are very accepted. And then there are also some elements that uh, of the population down there that don't necessarily accept that lifestyle at the time. Uh, but they did end up finding multiple online profiles for him. And they believe that he may have been using the internet to meet up with men in the United States. At the time, he was on vacation from his teaching job at Marlowe Academy, which is in Ramsgate, England. He was supposed to return to his teaching job on January 3rd of 2007. He was reported missing by his friends in England after he failed to return to work. He had taught at a middle school in Statesville, North Carolina, from 2003 to 2006, and he had plans to meet up with friends either in Statesville or friends from Statesville during his vacation. Leonard's disappearance remained unsolved. He left behind 11 siblings in New Zealand. His uh, loved ones believed that foul play was involved. Some agencies uh, give his, the date of his disappearance as December 31st, 2006. Uh, he goes into Charlie Project very early. Um, his last update in there was July 17th, 2011. So I thought that we would take this opportunity to chat about him. Uh, and I pulled a... I pulled an article from the New Zealand Herald that's from early March 2017 by Louisa Cleve. Uh, it just says, No leads yet on New Zealand men missing in Florida. And it's from March 16. It's a... It goes into a little more detail here. So Luisa's take on this is it could be a case from without a trace, although the fast-paced results of the fictitious television series is nothing like the reality of searching for a New Zealander who has disappeared in the United States. Leonard Taku, 45, vanished during a holiday to Florida over the new year. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs said it was in contact with investigators in the U.S. and had been informed that police were working with the FBI. Leonard's family have questioned the progress, uh, have questioned the effort being put into finding him and were frustrated by police progress. A rental car Leonard was driving was found abandoned in a secluded forest more than a month ago, but fingerprint analysis has yet to be carried out, according to his family. Leonard picked up the luxury Chrysler in December, in Miami on December 18th and extended his rental contract at Tampa International Airport on the 26th. He was supposed to return the car in Miami on December the 31st and return to England to start a teaching job in Kent on January the 3rd. However, one of his credit cards was used in Orlando at a five-star hotel owned by the Hilton Company in mid-January, and about three weeks later, the rental car was found abandoned in dense forest near the city of Acala, north of Orlando. Dolly Niemi said her brother's disappearance was out of character. She has contacted U.S. officials in New Zealand in an effort for more to be done, but was unimpressed with the standard letter the family received from the U.S. consulate and contacted the FBI directly. Dolly said the agency told the family it could not get involved, although uh, the Foreign Affairs Ministry has been told by Tampa police that the FBI was involved. Uh, it's as slow as a snail. It's horrible, Dolly said. Detective Sergeant Liam Clinton, officer in charge of the Police Missing Persons Unit, said that New New Zealand police were in regular contact with Tampa police and offering any assistance, but they could not get actively involved. Things we would do normally here in terms of finding people, they can be done over there, but they're not as easy or quick because of privacy legislation and procedures they've got to go through to get records. We can certainly understand the family's frustration from this end because it was in New Zealand. If it was in New Zealand, it would be a lot easier. But if it's overseas and they have different rules and different priorities, unfortunately, unfortunately, we have to live with that and give them as much as we can from this end. Trying to trace credit card details or bank transactions, for instance, was more difficult in the US, where authorities had to get a subpoena from a court to access information, which in New Zealand could be attained through cooperation between banks and police. New Zealand police helped trace the credit card to a hotel business, but their American counterparts needed to obtain an investigative subpoena to search hotel records or view any surveillance footage. The rental had been forensically tested and fingerprints were discovered inside, but they have yet to be matched to Leonard's prints sent over from New Zealand. That seems to be taking a bit longer. I'm not really blaming them for the delay because I know their problem in terms of their resourcing. And the fact is it all takes time, Mr. Clinton said. Most New Zealanders, while traveling overseas, turn up safe and well. Their disappearance often sparked by a worried family member that hasn't heard from their traveling loved one. New Zealand police made inquiries with overseas law enforcement agencies in 29 cases in 2006. And all but one was resolved or the missing people found safe. Detective Sergeant Liam Clinton said police spent four to five weeks tracking a New Zealand man in Chile. As we were tracking him down, he decided to make contact as well. Some of them just work out that way. About a dozen other reports were resolved before inquiries were made because people had made contact. The outstanding case is Blindham man Kevin Borkovsky, 55, who went missing while researching his family history in, in Russia. He was last seen in September in Tenda, a city of 40,000 people in the far east of Russia where he arrived in harsh winter conditions and bought a ticket to travel further on that night, but he never turned up for the train. A woman was caught at the train station trying to cash in uh, Kevin's ticket using his passport. Described by police as a beggar, the woman said she found the items in a bag of uh, his possessions, but she had later died in a fire. Uh, Forests around Tenda would thaw out around May or June and local police would carry out a search there had there been no fresh leads. uh, They have 57 whereabouts inquiries that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade have dealt with uh, in 2007, starting with March 1st. And 13 of those cases were considered open at the time. Anyways, I've sort of uh, just running down that case as well. And I can't tell if they ever ended up uh, having a resolution. Uh, He's uh, Kevin. uh, From what I can tell, Kevin Borkowski is also still missing. So I was bringing him up here. Sort of a double feature.
1: What do you think about all that? I don't know anything about uh, Kevin's story, but um, it was just being mentioned as another uh, person from New Zealand that was missing in that particular article, right? Yeah, yeah. Leonard, uh, he is... Well, he actually has, like, an additional sort of issue. Um, so he is a 44-year-old man, right? Yeah. Um, they they happen to say that he is a gay man. I think that that was... Um, a characterization that uh, the investigators used to uh, implore the help of the the community there, right? Correct. Yeah. More so than anything else, and so. Um, but he was also from a different country. That's actually the. I don't. I don't think that it would necessarily make him more vulnerable, but like the article touched on, it makes the situation different uh, with regard to kind of more pieces of the puzzle to put together. But initially, you've got a guy who is on his vacation and he's rented a vehicle and then extended extended the rental of the vehicle. You said twice. I think I've actually seen it where that was the third extension he'd gotten. Um, He bought uh let's see forty six fifty five at the gap i'm gonna say probably like a shirt
0: <laughs> maybe a pair of pants
1: maybe a pair of pants so he he buys you know something new yeah they felt like uh when was the the high higher end hotel rental
0: the date of it it's a yeah. little. It's in January. It, okay. It's not specified. It's in uh, maybe it is specified. It's in January.
1: Mid. It just says mid-January. I see it. Yeah. And then okay, so you've got this situation where you've got a guy who nobody seems to know exactly what was going on. We don't have any idea of when he was supposed to be back. We know he was going back to England to resume his teaching job, right?
0: Yeah. That school had not been open for very long either. There was a lot of, so that school is no longer open today. It was, it ended up merging with another school several years ago, but it had a lot of problems.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. It says that he was supposed to, uh, return to Marlow Academy in Ramsgate, England on January 3rd. So they do get a date. (laughs) So I'm sorry. Um, okay. So, um, he had lived in the United States for three years, uh, teaching at a middle school in Statesville, North Carolina. And so I don't know if this was his exodus from the United States. I don't know if he was returning to England.
0: I think he had to leave and come back.
1: Okay. And so um, you've got a guy in Florida renting a car, extending the rental, uh, doing pretty normal things, including, you know, buying some new piece of clothing at the gap. And, then, like, a a month, then a half after um, he didn't return, I mean, roughly, he didn't go back to Ramsgate, England, like he had planned to, his car turns up, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, so when a car turns up in a remote part of a national forest, uh, believe it or not, this is one of those cases that um, I had to run through my keys filter.
0: Huh. Yeah, I could see that. Like time wise, I remember us looking in Florida a couple of different times. This doesn't line up. I don't. I think Keyes is firmly in uh, in Alaska when this happens, right? No,
1: he's not. Um, he's actually been kicked out of his um, abode oh, in Washington yes. at the end of '06, and he is not firmly in Alaska until March of 07. Um, but I did. Uh, I do have the opinion that. Uh, if you follow the dynamics of this you've got to get the car to the national forest and then whoever drove the car there they're either let's say that it was Leonard who drove the car there and then went on a hike, right? Then you have a situation where that you know he's lost to the elements, right? Yeah. But um otherwise How did the person, uh, if it's not Leonard driving the car out there and abandoning it, how did the person get away from the car? Well,
0: I wanted to run something by you really quick. So I have this um, not keys list, and I don't really share it with anybody. I haven't shared much of it with you. But I wanted to uh, mention that, okay, in time later in 2007, what do you think the odds of multiple cars popping up in Ocala Forest would be with missing persons attached to them?
1: And over what kind of span?
0: Um, August 2007 or so.
1: Just in August?
0: Well, say, say a year.
1: Oh, over the course of a year? I would say... Well, that depends on a number of factors, but I would say, like, any more than about three, I would be concerned.
0: Okay, so there's this other one, and it doesn't, like, tie in perfectly to this, but I was going to read some of this. Um, This is another missing persons case, and I know this is kind of, like, going down a rabbit hole, but but give me a second. Uh, This is Christine Blackburn-Wiles. She goes missing April 21st, 2007. Okay, here's what it says about her. She was last seen in Bellevue, Florida, April 21st at 1 a.m. She and her sister had gone out to some bars that day. Billy Joe Ashton Sr. followed them. So Christine asked her sister to pull over. They get into the 1995 uh, Chrysler New Yorker that Ashton is driving. He claims that they had an argument. He dropped her off around the corner. Her husband denies seeing her again. Because, I don't know, there's something going on with all of these people. The family thinks that she's gone to Texas. Do you remember this case? We kind of talked about it a
1: little bit. Uh, yeah, um, I vaguely remember it.
0: Okay, so she gets reported missing in early May because she hasn't gotten in touch with everyone when her daughter turned 16. Now, they acknowledge that Christine Blackburn-Wiles has like a lot of issues going on. So, the vehicle that she was last seen in gets found at Wildcat Lake. In Lake County, Florida, near Ashton's relatives, but also in the Ocala Forest on July 24th. So, investigators go there, and they find that the there's some stuff has been burned. They dig up fragments of clothing, and they think they find some of what's happened to Blackburn Wiles. Um, they, think of, uh, they think they find some evidence of something having happened to her because her clothing appears to be in there burned up um so he wasn't uh, this guy was incarcerated for a little while and he did some stuff that sort of implicated him to me that's automatically a domestic but this car is really close to where leonard's car is found so anytime that happens where i can see like a car has been found in a specific place i always wonder if like Do you think if there was some kind of predator, it would be more likely or less likely that they would use the same place twice? Less likely. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, too. I saw some links of that online, so I was sort of like running that down. To me, I always kind of automatically think that's not going to be connected. And I was just wondering if I was wrong in thinking that.
1: I feel like they, um, I feel like that, um, if I, I don't re- really remember all of this case, but, uh, it's see, I don't know that he's been, I know he's incarcerated. I don't know if he's been charged, but, um, for her disappearance or anything to do with that, but I'm pretty sure it was firmly. Yeah. Okay. It was him. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, and so that's highly unlikely to be related to anything to do with Leonard. Um, So, nobody mentions with Leonard if, like, would it be something he would go do, right? Uh, as far as going out into... In I, hiking? I don't know what, I don't know what this national park really is. Like, it says that he was found in a remote part of the I mean, I'm sorry, that his rental vehicle was found abandoned in a remote part of the Ocala National Forest, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so it's near the Little Lake George Wilderness Area. So this is the woods, right? Yeah. And the only reason it's found probably like a month later, which it says February 9th, 2007, was because they were doing a controlled burn. The uh, Department of Agriculture was doing a controlled burn. Correct. Um does that sound like somebody that drove up and was going on a hike? Does that sound like the car was dumped? Like, what do you think? Do you have any idea? I, I can't picture what this area is like. So,
0: I've gone, th- well, it's, it's a pretty dense area. It definitely would be a good place for a hike. I think it's also a good place for a car abandonment. So that's how you know I sort of get into the situation where I, I'm, I'm straddling the fence. Largely because I don't have that information. Nobody says he he would never be in the forest. He looks like a really fit dude. Like in the pictures that I've seen of him, he looks like a fit guy.
1: Right. And so um, anytime this sort of thing comes up, like it's a remote location, uh, it really stands out to me that whomever – like let's say that there's foul play involved, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, whomever left the car there, they had to get back to somewhere, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I always bring that into the equation and I, I can't tell here, like, how much of a truck that would be. Um, I can't, I also can't tell, like, who would have possibly noticed that, right? Um, yeah. And so um, I always wonder, in these type of cases specifically, um, he is in the least vulnerable population, um, I guess, um, because he, he lived here. So I get that he's international, but he had lived in the United States for several years. Um,
0: yeah, he's not a stranger to traveling in the U.S. If he's lived here for three years, he's got a lot of it down, don't you think?
1: Yes, I, th- I think so. Um, and so I don't feel like that would make him more vulnerable in any way. And so I have a tendency to think that um, it's possible that he went on a hike and uh, he could have gotten lost, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it seems like he would have given somebody the heads up that he was going out on a hike, but... I mean it I, I guess maybe he didn't. Uh they don't talk about, you know, if his like were all his belongings in the car. Um, yeah,
0: we don't we don't get a rundown of any of that.
1: You know, was if everything he owned was in his car. I have so I have a t- this is uh this is probably not a uh This may not be logical, but I have a tendency to believe that with a rental car, it's unlikely that he drove it out there and committed suicide.
0: Yeah. Like, so he extends the rental car the day of or day after Christmas. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't
1: think... Well, and maybe I'm wrong about it, but to me, it seems like that would make a gigantic pain for everybody to have to deal with. Yeah. And, like, I-, I don't know. I could just be wrong about that. But to me, like, when you're paying money for a rental car, um, it's going to end up being a case where, like, you wandered off and couldn't find your way back, right? I don't know why I have that in my mind. It's probably wrong, but I just feel like if you were, you know, you've returned the car before you killed yourself. I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, maybe. No, I, the, no, no, no. That's... I think
0: I, I, I am. So I think the car is either abandoned by someone who killed him for whatever reason. And the other possibility would be he got lost. I don't think it's going to be suicide. Like I'm I with you. I don't,
1: on... I don't think that, I don't think he probably committed suicide. Um, I feel like um, it – I don't know. That's such a complicated uh, situation there. Uh, there, It doesn't seem to be that there was any sort of blood or anything in the rental car, right? We don't know. Um, But then – so the upscale – hotel, which it's, that's basically the sentence, right? I mean, they don't give a description of the situation.
0: They they say it's a Hilton hotel and that, and some people say he wouldn't have used it. Some people say maybe. And then the family says, no, we don't think he would have done that.
1: Well, and you know, whatever. I feel like a little bit of investigation could have determined if he had been the one that checked in or not at that point in time. I don't think they could find that out now, but like, if they had gone to the hotel in 07, there would have probably somebody probably would have been able to tell them who it was that checked in, right?
0: yeah
1: um so I just I don't know i it's hard for me to um imagine uh a situation where you've got a guy. Or a a guy or a girl, I guess, um, dropping off his vehicle after some sort of foul play went down, uh, you know, disposing of his body. And then getting back to civilization from this remote location, having dropped off the vehicle. Yeah. That's hard. That's really hard for me to um, sort of figure out. Now, while Key's like... Uh, said that he took victims in remote locations. I feel like um, that's a lot different than like dropping a car off in a remote location, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. This isn't, I, this, I don't think this fits him at all. Like, right. I think yeah, this no. guy, if this guy got took and this car got dumped, then the car's getting dumped someplace remote because he took him from a more populated area where he couldn't leave the car. And he's trying to throw off the investigation, whoever it is. And yeah, I'm but, saying he, but.
1: But, you know, like, it it just seems less likely that somebody dumped the car unless it was something else like and there were more people involved and yeah yeah so
0: i'm with you that's i'm it's following you yeah. ever
1: the case and so you know i i would like to know if they thought like oh yeah maybe he went out. i mean cuz he was on vacation right so hiking is something you do on vacation it's nice in florida um most of the time around that time of year it's a lot warmer than a lot of other places right
0: yeah I tend to, I tend to like err with you on that side. Like if you're down there, see, that's the other thing about like the gap purchase in my head, It's probably something you didn't have or needed or are going like, like if he's going Florida to Statesville that time of year, Statesville, North Carolina is going to be significantly colder than Florida is most of the time. So there's always that possibility that like, you know, he's, for you know, lack of a better word, he's grabbing something like a sweater or grabbing something like, um, I don't know, like uh, the opposite direction would be he's grabbing shorts because like he doesn't have, do you know what I mean? Like he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have what he needs in terms of like he's, he. I, I think climate, like I've gone places before. Okay. One of two reasons that I bought clothes kind of in a hurry and gone into wherever. One is I don't have what I need. Like I've gone someplace before to visit someone and it turned out that it was going to be a funeral. So I had to go into a mall and grab, you know, tie, dress shirt, because I didn't have that with me. It wasn't supposed to be going to a funeral. And then I've also had... Where I go to a place where I thought I understood what the weather was going to be like and the weather forecast, the weather changed on me and I had to get, you know, a sweater or a rain poncho. So in my mind, I I sort of look at what's happening here and I go, okay, maybe that's why he hits the gap. But it could also just be that, like, he just wanted something new or had a gift card or whatever and, like, went in there just for that reason. And then. But
1: but we can really make it like I was thinking he either needed, like, a t shirt or a a jacket to go hiking.
0: Yeah. That like, yes, that works too.
1: Because to me, um, it's possible that, and I, and I was trying, I've, (laughs) I think about this kind of thing probably way too much, but I was thinking, well, if you're in Florida, you expect one thing. And, um, maybe if he decided suddenly to take this hiking trip, Um, He realized he needed a jacket or he realized he needed, you know, a different shirt or whatever to be more comfortable out hiking. Um, Especially if it was a all of a sudden type thing. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know the dynamic of like, when you go, I'm going to keep this rental car for longer and longer. Right. And the thought behind that, I think is what initially makes me think that he's having some indecisiveness.
0: Yeah. I, I could see that being the case. Yeah.
1: And then I will never know. And I would never put this on anybody. Uh, it's just, I, I would never think about it if I didn't look into these cases, but um, I always wonder if like, sometimes people go out to clear their mind, right? Like out in nature, it's nice and it's, refreshing and you can kind of reset and like if they get lost you know I wonder sometimes like if it's not it's not like they're committing suicide it's just like they're not coming back yeah and I find I mean that's that's really it's tragic but um I always wonder like What was the intention behind that? Because, you know, you can take steps uh, leading up to something like a hike out in the National Forest in Ocala, uh, Florida, to ensure that somebody knows where you're at. And if you don't come back, uh, somebody does something, right? Correct. Correct. Uh, and that when that doesn't happen, it could just be that the person's really private; they didn't want to bother somebody, or it could be something more to it, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I, so down there uh, in 2005 in this area, okay, so I, I ran 2005 to 2009, looking to see in like a four or five county area how many single men went missing. And the answer is zero. He's the only one. There is this one unique scenario in August 2005, but it's in Melrose, Florida. So it's actually in, like, as far as counties go, it's, it's actually in Putnam County, but that still ties to the Ocala National Forest. Part of it's in Putnam County. So he goes missing in Seminole, and then Ocala National Forest is, like, Putnam Lake, and Marion, I think, if you look at it. It's like a a half a million acres. It's an enormous area. So there's this one odd case on August 21st, 2005, and I'm kind of wandering off here, where uh, Robert Julian and Charles Walden, they're last seen at Robert Julian's residence, which is in Melrose, Florida, and he lives in the 100 block of 3rd Street at 5 p.m. on August 21st, 2005. So... They're believed to be traveling in a rented from Budget Mental silver four door 2005 Buick Rendezvous SUV that's got a license plate and a picture of it in here. They're never seen again. So they're very interesting guys. Robert Julian, he's a Caucasian male who's 45 at the time he goes missing, 5'11, 175, blonde hair, blue eyes. He's an older guy, mustache. Um, he looks older. I mean, he's 45, but he looks older. Um, and then if I click on Charles Walden from the same setup. He is an African American male. He's 31 years old. He's five foot seven, 163 pounds. And the reason I mentioned them is because for a three year time period, they are technically the only two other, quote, single males in this age range that go missing. And what I mean single males is I mean just one person goes missing. Um, not that they're single or married or whatever.
1: I was going to say, but the two of them are missing.
0: Well, they're for a while. They're not associated together. They end up being associated a little later on, but essentially, so
1: that gets uh, confusing. But the car is missing.
0: The car is missing, so that probably means that those guys are in water. But then I thought about it. If they didn't do that control burn in the Kala, you know, in two thousand seven, in February two thousand seven, they don't find Leonard's car either. So right, and
1: we don't. I don't know like, what other circumstances could occur that they would find it, right? Right. Uh, You're looking at, um, I would say that it's anywhere from, like, a day to a month that that car sat there in Leonard's case, right? I mean, we don't know, but, like, so what is the turnaround time on that? I don't know. Like, and how many places in the United States um, are there that cars can randomly be seen sitting there and not be found, right? I would say the longer amount of time that's passed, the more likely somebody would have come across it, right? Yeah. Um, and so in this case, you know, what were these guys doing together?
0: I, I don't know. I brought them up because of the rental car, because they're an odd pairing, All things, all, all kinds of things pop into my head. Ultimately, I think they're probably in water or woods. I don't know what – I have no idea. I, I just yeah. brought them up because in this area – and I ran – so I went uh, a <laughs> year ahead of him and two years after him, talking about Leonard's case, mm-hmm. and, and these are the other missing males. Now, technically, Charles did not fall into my search when I first did it. So I expanded it and took the ages off. Because I was doing your age thing, where like we're looking for males over a certain age and whatever. But I took the age off altogether, and I get Charles and Robert.
1: Well, I was gonna say, um, are you talking about my invulnerable missing yeah, person group?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I just so you
1: know that that's always like a call you have to make, right? Like you can look at a person; it's not necessarily well, the age.
0: Well, okay. For instance, in Trenton
1: Duc-
0: Trent, Trent Ducket is in there. But he's two years old.
1: Like he's he a vulnerable.
0: Right, right. Yeah. But both of these guys are, like you said, invulnerable. I don't know. I just included them here because um, that's an a, odd this case. This is with a weird no,
1: case, and it's a couple of guys.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. So, and I'll say this about all of this. First of all, I'm very good at searching in Florida. I do a lot of. I spend a lot of time in Florida. And when I say that, I say it because I mainly find like if if you look up at Ocala and all the people that have gone missing there over the years, there's not very many of them still missing today. But the ones that are are related to some major serial killers, like Schaefer was over there. Like there's a couple of girls in the '60s, like they were just on a picnic and they just they they were wiped off the face of the earth. No one ever sees them again. So when I say that, like. I'm, I'm talking about this area and this county. I know how to do all the searches and stuff, got, but i got to be honest, i got a I got a predator bent in my head that causes some confirmation bias, and I can't necessarily get past it. So I have to consider what you said, which is he just wandered away and didn't have plans originally to wander away until I see evidence otherwise, and they don't really put any other evidence about him out there.
1: You're t- and we're so we're back Leonard. on Leonard. I'm
0: back on Leonard. I'm saying I look at these guys and I think automatically water, but I have a prejudice when I look at like Leonard's case and they found his vehicle in the woods. Like I think that he was taken and killed by someone. But you're right; it's probably that he walked away.
1: Well, and I don't. And when I when I say that, like, I don't necessarily mean he like meant to not come back, right?
0: No, 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 I'm just saying like he was doing something else and and got lost or couldn't make his way back or something happened to him or he had an accident. Those are far more likely than my confirmation bias.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, anytime. So while not impossible, uh, anytime you're, Looking at a situation like that, um, it is possible he was the victim of something, a serial killer or just a predator or whatever. But most of these cases, um, you know, if you you he has a lot of pictures on um, Charlie Project and in different if you go looking for him, you can find lots of pictures of him. He was in a he was in good shape. OK, yeah, he's a gonna, buff dude. Yeah, it was going to take uh, quite a bit to to make him vulnerable to something right like yeah. a gun or a knife or whatever and it that leaves evidence behind right um and you have this other sort of which is absolutely fine uh except it comes with some risk but you know nobody at least they haven't said it out loud to anywhere we can see it and since he's been missing for this long it seems like it would have come out nobody had any idea what he was up to right yeah and so taking all that into consideration you know this was a guy who was the master of his own destiny so to speak right I mean he didn't have to answer to anybody right and along with that comes I mean, I'm not going to say it's a vulnerability. I'm just going to say it it comes confidence that you know I can handle myself, right? Yeah. Um, But I do think that it it's far more likely um, that whatever day. Now, the weird thing is, okay, you do have to consider the fact that he checked that his card was used at a high end hotel. After he should have been back in England, right?
0: Yeah. And the car should have been turned in. And, like, all sorts of things should have happened here. Yes.
1: Correct. And so he he's made a conscious decision to not turn the car in, to stay in the hotel, and then to go out for a hike. Now, that type of stuff, the indecision and all that, that leads me to believe, like, more so, uh, like... That it would be uh, a choice not to come back, right?
0: Maybe, but you can still rectify some of those choices to go out in the woods and have self-reflection. That sure. is a place people do that. And then sure. then you have to consider, did he or did he not make the choice to stay in the hotel?
1: Correct, because, well, and obviously, if somebody else stayed in the hotel, then you this is a completely different situation.
0: Right, and that's where my brain starts off into, like, and the, okay, I'll say this. He's an invulnerable male to a certain population. The area that he's in has had problems over the years at different times in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s. None of them are active at this time. But there were serial predators who were looking for men just like Leonard to do harm to them.
1: I think that you're right um, as far as the categorization goes. However, uh, Leonard's 44. Well, and he's also, he's reported to be from 5'8 to 6'1. He's a big guy. Yeah. That's all I'm saying is that that is what keeps him invulnerable. He's also openly gay. And I think that sometimes it's
0: that's a good point, because that's that is what the older victims have in common is they're typically closeted.
1: Correct. And it's used against them by predators. Yep, And that wouldn't be the situation here because he's not closeted. He's openly gay. And um, there's I don't feel like there's. I don't feel like anything he did, he wouldn't necessarily tell anybody, but it wasn't like necessarily a secret either.
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because you're thinking of like the hog trail killings where that guy was grabbing 20, 25 year old guys out of the bars and stuff. He Um, was
1: saying he was going to take their picture or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I follow where you're headed. Yeah.
1: No, but I don't think, I don't think Leonard would have been a candidate for that.
0: No, no, no. He's, that, it's not that kind of person I'm thinking of. But you're still... I guess you're actually right. Like, if I were to go through... I was thinking of um, this other serial killer down there who was Stephen Lorenzo. And mm-hmm. Stephen Lorenzo would have been active ahead of this. But I think his victims were still in their 20s. And they were openly gay men. But... Uh, that was, he was So he was a Tampa, Florida serial killer who was... Uh, I think he was using GHB. Um, there's a couple others. Like, uh, I mentioned... Uh, Daniel Conahan, that's the, the Hog Lake. There's several of them that have come through this area over the years, specifically the Tampa area. And those guys, there's one I can't I can't remember what his name was. Um, there was one, but I'm pretty sure he was long ahead of this. I think maybe Gary Bowles, um, maybe not. I don't like. I was thinking maybe he had been one of those guys and. I think those victims were in their 40s and 50s. That's what I'm picturing. But he's like an 80s and 90s killer.
1: I I don't know if I'm familiar with that or not. I'd have to look into it. But when I think of the situations you're talking about, uh, just sort of generally, um, I I don't see, um, like, Leonard's body type and... Like, he just looks like a strong, healthy, young guy, right? Yeah. And, like, the guys that I picture when I think about um, the not, like, young – the older teenager to young 20s guys, um, the ones that are older, I feel like they – uh, they don't look like Leonard. I, I I feel like that's just the wrong thing for me to say. Completely. No, They're I lighten- understand what <laughs> I understand
0: what you're saying, but here's here's where I'm coming from, and then I'm going to move it to the case for today because I could talk about this all day with you. I love having these conversations, and I love digging into these um, here's he, he, digging into these cases. But uh, I I we're, I'm already running. I'm dragging you like way out, and I apologize for that because sometimes I do that. But when I th- so who I was thinking of was the I-95 killer. Okay, if you look up his victims, you'll be like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to understand what you're saying. But uh, John Hardy Roberts was 59 years old. David Allen Jarman was 39 years old. Milton Joseph Bradley was 72 years old. Alverson Carter Jr. was 47 years old. Walter J. Hinton was 47 years old. and Albert Morris was 38 years old. So okay. there are guys who take advantage of men who are older and look differently, um, the the issues. So what? What allegedly, if I remember, Gary Ray Bowles is the guy I'm talking about. His deal was he was homophobic. So if he, he those people were all kind of out of the closet, I think. Um, but I picture somebody like that. You know, but he's he, he's apprehended November 1994. So it's not possible for him to be doing something to Leonard. I, that's just who I picture is like a guy like him getting a hold of Leonard would be the crazy person who like figures out how to get back from... Like there's all sorts of things you can do to figure out how someone leaves that national forest after abandoning that car. If you know like approximately when they did it. You've got a... What is that? A three-month time frame? No, it's February, so it's found in February he got all of January and not much time in December because he on the twenty sixth he renews the rental contract
1: well plus he um the twenty eighth he was at the gap and then right. so he's accounted for after he's renewed his rental contract with the car. um it's something that goes amiss in the meantime.
0: I bet it's I around New Year's Eve,
1: well, but You've got a hotel stay in the middle of January.
0: I don't think uh, that hotel stay is him. If, if, well, I'll qualify it. Like uh, if he is, like you said, he's pontificating life, the hotel stay is probably him. Correct. But if he's, if he's taken by a predator and somehow his credit card either is used by the predator, which I doubt, or is thrown away and found and used by someone else, then I would believe that, like, probably something happened to Leonard around New Year's Eve. Because that would be a time, like, it accounts for everything but the hotel. Because, like, he's already gone to the gap on the 28th, and he's not really heard from again. Although, depending on which, like, news source you read here, the last time they record him, some of these, uh, according to FDLE, is... December 31st. I don't know what they have that points them to December 31st. They haven't released it. And that's the other thing about this case. There's not much out here for you and I to pick through.
1: Right. And uh, it almost makes me think that, you know, there would be more uh, to it if it, there was more to it, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) If there was
1: more to it than him just like driving to the park and going for a hike and then losing his way back um, I feel like there would be more information. And so I take that into consideration as well. But That's either way, point. I wish that um, that he could be found to give his family some closure. And, um, you know, unfortunately I, I don't know, I don't know what has happened to him. Um, and if he did go out, you know, and anticipate coming back you know it's a very tragic uh situation but there's a lot of factors there that they make it all kind of weird right I mean it it is
0: weird it is a weird situation I I feel awful about like I think of the siblings like there's 11 siblings there that don't know where you know he is and that would be absolutely like horrifying to have you know have that many people in your family, and one of them is just there's a hole where one is missing like that.
1: Yeah, it, it it is really I'm sure it is really hard for them.
0: I do have an exoneration case for today. This was an older one. Had you ever heard
1: of it? No, I hadn't.
0: So this is a Suffolk County exoneration. It's for a crime that was reported in 1971. Uh, the conviction occurs in 1972, and he ends up exonerated in 1982 after having been sentenced to death. Now, this is a uh, for sort of for the uh, demographic purposes. This is at the time of the crime, a 20 year old black male. And one of the contributing factors to his uh, conviction is perjury or false accusation. Uh, you can find him on the National Registry of Exonerations. There's been several write-ups on, on his case over the years. And, you know, I try to remember there's also there's victims involved in these cases. And, you know, I try and be uh, thoughtful on that as I uh, go through these. On December 7th of 1971, James Christian is a white man in a predominantly black neighborhood who was murdered on the steps of a housing project in the Roxbury section of Boston. Gary Pritchett, a social worker, stopped Kenneth Myers as he fled along with two other black men whom Pritchett did not recognize. A witness did identify Kenneth Myers and the two other men fleeing the scene. Pritchett did not believe that either of the men was the person who eventually is convicted of this crime, whom Pritchett knew. Now, Kenneth Myers had been known to the police for having a prior criminal record. He was the only suspect taken into custody that evening. And Myers, he conceded his presence at the scene, so he admitted he was there. And at first, he identified the shooter as a man named Vaughn Simpkins, S-I-M-P-K-I-N-S. Investigators later discovered that Vaughn Simpkins was in prison. So at that point in time, Kenneth Myers named a man as the shooter, and that man was Lawyer Johnson. So this guy's, his first name is Lawyer.
1: Yeah, if there ever was um, an ironic name.
0: Yeah. A week later, Lawyer Johnson, who's a 20-year-old black man, is arrested and charged with committing the murder. So he's pretty much charged the very end, like right before the Christmas holiday in uh, December of 1971. And in June of 1972 a Suffolk County jury finds Lawyer Johnson guilty of first-degree murder, and they sentence him to death by electrocution. The prosecution's case hinged on the testimony of Kenneth Myers and a man named Alvin Franklin, and Alvin Franklin was a jailhouse snitch. He claimed that Lawyer Johnson had confessed to him while they were having rec time on the yard. However, he later admitted during cross-examination It may have actually been Kenneth Myers who told him that Johnson had killed James Christian.
1: So, is that just backpedaling? Like, what's happening there?
0: I don't know what's happening when he does that. I think, like, I think it's really like in these, these are like slightly older cases, not as old as the ones where there's like no records. My guess is it was really careful direct examination that the defense attorney was able to peel apart on cross examination. Does that make sense?
1: It makes sense. It just, I, I think it would be interesting to see where that statement came. Like, what was the dialogue happening? Because I feel like somebody misunderstood something.
0: Or if yeah, they caught him in a lie, if they caught him in a lie, then we have a bigger problem with this. Which we're we're going to get to that here. In well, this I second. think
1: that that gets a <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a bigger problem. We just don't know. Um, I feel like it it would be against the interest of justice to have somebody on the stand who isn't sure if it was the defendant or the defendant's cohort that told him the information.
0: Yeah, but he he shared a cell with Kenneth Myers. This is a setup. He thought he was getting a deal. That's what's happening, I think. Anytime you, like, dangle a deal and you're close to that person, I I definitely could see something like this having happened.
1: I mean, I guess... Considering the circumstances, I really shouldn't be surprised. I just find it so difficult to to fathom being in a position where you're going to, like, just flat out lie about somebody committing a murder. Right. But whatever.
0: Yeah, that would be weird. Gary Pritchett. So that's the social worker who stopped Kenneth Myers that night. He couldn't be found for the trial. Kenneth Myers refused to identify two potential witnesses to the crime one of the alleged participants and Myers' girlfriend. So if he's not identifying them, the court cannot like compel his testimony and he can't really do anything with those other people who are thought to be involved. In July of 1974, lawyer Johnson ends up getting a new trial based on the fact that Kenneth Myers had withheld names. So the second trial Gary Pritchett shows up and he had, he testifies. He ends up testifying for the defense, but Johnson still ends up being found guilty again. This time he's found guilty of second degree murder. Jury selection had played a pivotal role in this new trial. The prosecutors struck all the potential black jurors and all the jurors who expressed sentiments indicating that race would not affect their judgment. So basically, the prosecutor was specific, it is July 1974, the prosecutor is specifically looking for racist jurors. This trial took place just weeks after the start of busing in Boston Public Schools, which was meant to desegregate the schools. The trial takes place right after that's happened, and an all-white jury sentences lawyer Johnson to life in prison.
1: And the reason that that's important to bring up is because of the tension that the entire vicinity is facing at that point, right?
0: Absolutely. The racial tension. It creates a racial tension that you cannot – I mean, we've had incidents today where that type of thing happens, but 40 years ago, uh, almost 50 years ago, this would have been like a, a stifling environment to try and get a fair trial.
1: Not to mention, like it seems crazy that you've got a a prosecutor seeking justice, indicating that you know he basically wants to load the jury.
0: Well, That's so right. he I mean, doesn't want to load the jury at first. It actually, like, I could see how some of this could come across as like not wanting people who are biased because of the first trial or whatever. But the end result is they're excluding people that would sympathize with lawyer Johnson. That's what he's doing. And he knows it. The prosecutor knows he's doing that. He's just allowed to at the time.
1: Well, I know, but I don't see how the prosecutor thought that was kosher, but it, we live in a different time now, I guess.
0: Yeah, it is a completely different world.
1: Because how would it be... Okay, just... And this is kind of getting off a little bit, but how would an all-white jury be a jury of Lawyer Johnson's peers? Oh, it's not. Without question, right?
0: No, it's not in his mind. And some prosecutors, like, they know that is what's supposed to happen, but they think to themselves that, like, as long as it's peers of James Christian, that's all that matters.
1: Well, I mean...
0: It's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible way to look at it, but...
1: I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever um, heard, but I continue to be surprised by those types of uh, positions, but...
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with you, and, like, I want everything to be fair and just. This is just one of those instances where it's not. And the whole time, somebody has their thumb on the scale against Lawyer Johnson. In late 1980, Danielle Montiero, who had witnessed the crime as a 10-year-old came forward. Montiero said she called to report the crime at the time, but the police told her she was too young to be of assistance in the investigation. Montiero knew Myers, and Myers had a bad reputation in the neighborhood. At a hearing in 1981, she testified that she witnessed Kenneth Myers shoot James Christian in the head at point-blank range on her way home from the store. Montiero also knew Lawyer Johnson, and she testified that she did not see him at the scene. Based on Montiero's testimony, Judge Eileen Griffin ordered a new trial, and Lawyer Johnson was released on bail. In October of 1982, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts announced they were moving to dismiss all the charges against then 30-year-old Johnson. They vacated his conviction after more than a decade. In 1983, the Massachusetts legislature initially approved a special bill providing $75,000 compensation for Johnson, but this measure was not enacted into law. In December of 2005, Massachusetts legislators, inspired in part by Johnson's case, enacted a law providing up to $500,000 in compensation for wrongfully convicted individuals, who could prove that they were innocent. However, this standard required proof of innocence by clear and convincing standards, a higher standard than for other civil trials. For claims with no DNA evidence, this was a particularly difficult standard to meet. In early early 2006, Lawyer Johnson filed one of the first claims under the new statute for the years of freedom he had lost and for other personal and emotional damages because of his incarceration. With no DNA, Gathering evidence 35 years after his wrongful prosecution posed challenges to meeting this high standard of proof, Johnson found he could not prove his innocence by clear and convincing evidence. In late 2006, Johnson agreed to settle his civil suit for $275,000. Johnson received the final settlement payment in June of 2007 at the age of 55. And I found an article in here that I wanted to uh to, to mention. It's from Witness to Innocence, um, which is a sort of an indus, innocence industry website, uh, witness to innocence.org. Uh, this is what it said about Lawyer Johnson. Lawyer Johnson was only 19 years old when he was convicted of murder and sentenced to die and the electric chair for crime he did not commit. The case against him was entirely based on inconsistent witness testimony. Mr. Johnson was the last person to be sentenced to death in Massachusetts before the Commonwealth outlawed the death penalty. When he won a retrial, a biased all white jury sentenced him to life in prison. While in prison, Mr. Johnson found solace in painting and said, if there's no beauty, I have the ability to create beauty. All of the charges were finally dropped against him when a witness who was a child when the murder occurred came forward and identified the original witness for the Commonwealth as the true perpetrator of the crime. She also testified, that she had come forward at the time of the investigation but was told by authorities they already had a person in mind for the conviction. That's not exactly true, but I'm going to let it stand because I understand the point they're making here. Lawyer Johnson was exonerated in 1982 after serving 10 years in prison, two of which were on death row. After his release, he worked with State Senator Pat Gilhan to pass the Massachusetts Wrongful Convictions Compensation Law, to compensate those who lost years of their lives due to a wrongful conviction. In 2004, after over two decades of efforts, the bill was finally approved. However, to Mr. Johnson and Senator jell outrage, the Attorney General stepped in and stripped the bill of its most important elements before it was passed into law. Mr. Johnson never received appropriate compensation and struggled to have his life fully restored. He was a dedicated community activist in Massachusetts where he spoke at university schools and other groups about his experience and the need for death penalty abolition. He gave his time to educate children about how to avoid the traps that can get thrown at them in the justice web and to ensure they knew their rights. One issue he felt strongly about is the immunity given to district attorneys, enabling them to sweep the truth under the rug. He was heartened by the election of a progressive DA in Boston and the possibility for change through the new movement of anti death penalty DAs. And then the final note on here is <clears throat> it is with heavy hearts that we share the news that Witness to Innocence member Lawyer Johnson passed away in March of 2022. He was a beloved part of our community of death row exonerees. He was an intellectual who thought deeply about the injustices present in our society and in the criminal legal system. He spoke strongly to all who would listen to bring light to those truths, and he spent decades supporting efforts for justice locally in Boston, nationally, and internationally. Lawyer was a humble and private man who stayed out of the spotlight. Most people will never know his name, never know the suffering he endured as a wrongfully convicted man and the last person in Massachusetts to be sentenced to death and never know his steadfast commitment to speaking truth to power and to contributing in any way he could to prevent others from suffering the injustices he endured. We at Witness to Innocence will always remember our brother and his beautiful, courageous spirit. May God grant him peace.
1: That was lovely.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I can top that.
1: Because um, I feel like uh, it's fitting that the last man sent us to death was ex- exonerated ultimately, right? Um and while it didn't meet the statutory requirement for compensation, I one hundred and fifty percent believe that he was absolutely innocent. and it it's shocking to me that it never occurred to the investigators when the crime happened that the guy that, you know, the social worker identified was actually the shooter yeah I mean it you know I've said I think recently, I'm not sure like in the course of airing where it'll be, but I've said that a lot of times the person most culpable for the crime is the one that talks, right, and they they pen it on somebody else.
0: Yeah, we've, we've t- I, I don't think you've said that once. I think you've said that quite a bit.
1: Because um, it's, it's always a situation where you've got either, and I think when we were talking about uh, just recently the arrest in Crystal Rogers' case, right, um, how Joseph Lawson was more than likely the least culpable in the situation, he's probably talking, right? Well, in this case, like, I don't even know, um, like, where lawyer Johnson came from. As far as like bringing his name up, right? Yeah, because he had nothing to do with any of it, and you've got the actual shooter, who you know, a little girl who was ten years old at the time of the crime. She saw it, and the police discounted her testimony, but they went with a person who had been identified as being at the scene, right, and um, a a jailhouse informant, basically. Um, but you know, a 10 year old little girl is probably going to tell the truth. I'm just saying.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I would say there are some children that like, maybe that's the right attitude to take for the most part, what you said is true. Children just blurt out the truth.
1: Right. And so in this particular situation, um, I have a really hard time, uh, believing that it was strictly incompetence because this takes incompetence to a whole new level to me.
0: Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I I, 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 would, I would actually wholeheartedly agree with you that, yeah, th- this is a different time, but it is a different level of incompetence. I really hope that people don't experience this today.
1: I hope that it never happens ever again, because to me, I, I just, I don't know what made Kenneth Myers more, whatever, whatever it was that Kenneth Myers could, you know, be in the position to have committed this crime and then blame somebody else and have them, because uh, he, he got in trouble for it as well, right?
0: Uh, yeah, he he gets sort of pinged as an accomplice. But, right, but
1: he was actually responsible for the crime. And he didn't give up the people who were involved with him, right? Right. He penned it on somebody who was completely not even there,
0: right? Yeah, well, well, he tried to pin it on someone who was in prison. And then he so, ends up pinning it on Lawyer Johnson.
1: Right. And to me, like, the, the all those red flags going off, right? Like, hello? I, I... I have a really hard time with the, uh, you know, initial – because the social worker is pretty unbiased witness, right? I think Gary Pritchett. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and he said, you know, Kenneth Myers was there. There were two other guys there. And he said that he didn't see Lawyer Johnson there. And I don't know. it To me, because he – an unbiased person like brought – Kenneth Myers into the picture and, you know, Kenneth Myers is conniving and he's going, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and talk, but I'm going to not give up my part in this. Right. Yeah. And go ahead and blame it on somebody else. And it went all the way through. Right. Um, It's that's pretty scary to me. Um, And I don't see why people weren't. The investigators should have known better, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, I I don't have anything else for this one. I agree with you. This guy was 100% innocent, and this is um, uh, absolute travesty, but I am glad it got rectified.
1: Do you think that um, all of these uh, wrongful prosecution, compensation, uh, all the legislation that's gone into place, do you think that our legislators at the state level are ever going to figure out that it's actually just about impossible to prove your
0: innocence of something? No. No, yeah, no. No, it's kind of by design. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because you have, so preponderance of the evidence means you've moved to from 50% to 51%.
1: It's more so than not.
0: Right. And then beyond a reasonable doubt, is it like, you know.
1: It's a higher standard.
0: It's a much higher standard. Uh, what they did here was they split the baby. Um, it's actually this is actually I guess technically more like 75 percent the way that they have set this standard up um, it's it's a little it's slightly less than that but
1: I, th- but I feel like um, I it it's impossible to prove a negative
0: right I agree with you there I'm just saying it like just in terms of statute when they said the clear and convincing standards they literally were aiming at 75 percent. so you basically have to be discounting whatever the thing was that like got you convicted in a way that it so it's a higher standard than the preponderance of evidence but it's a lower standard than beyond a reasonable doubt
1: except you're trying to prove your innocence
0: right i know
1: Okay, but it is a, it, it is a
0: civil setup, and it is for compensation. That's how they get away with it.
1: I understand that. But um, in Lawyer Johnson's situation, he had eyewitness testimony that, without question, he was not at the scene.
0: Yeah. You're 100% right.
1: So how is that not clear and convincing? Uh, to me, it's clear and convincing.
0: Well, they discounted the fact that she had seen it when she was uh, 10 years old.
1: So basically,
0: basically the way he was treated was he walked in and these grown men had said he did it. And this little girl said he didn't. That's how they treated him when it came to compensating him, even though he was treated the opposite of that in terms of the criminal case.
1: I feel like it could have gone a different way with a different advocate.
0: That's a, a strong possibility. Yeah.
1: Um, and I – I understand what you're saying as far as like putting, splitting the baby between preponderance and reason and beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah. But I am, I maintain you cannot prove a negative. It, it never happens. Yeah. It, I, I agree this, with you. Yeah. 100 It's agree this with unbelievable thing that, and it's in like, I haven't read all of them, But there's some sort of something to it in every single wrongful prosecution compensation indicating where you need to have... Basically, they just don't want to be giving out money for technicality issues when people aren't actually innocent, right? But to force somebody who was wrongly prosecuted to prove their innocence is an impossible, daunting feat. And they might as well just not even waste the time putting the legislation into place, honestly. Because of, you know, proving – because if I were on the other side of this and I was having to be the one to decide whether or not they had proven their innocence, I could always say that it wasn't proven. Oh, there was DNA there? Well, that just means there was another person involved. That doesn't mean you weren't involved. You see what I'm saying? You can't. Oh, yeah prove a negative. It's it's not possible. Anyway, that was the last thing I had on that. I just thought it was interesting that he went through... So he really was sort of a crusader, right? Because he experienced this. He went through it. He experienced probably some of the last of the worst racism that... that at least in the court system, right? I... Uh-
0: it's the last of it. I think it's the worst. The, of la- it. the last
1: I, of the wor- well, I don't think today I, that a young black man um, would be able to. Uh, I don't feel like prosecution would be able to put him on trial with an all-white jury by design.
0: I, mm, I would hope not. I, I was thinking. I, I didn't go the same direction you went there. My thinking was. It would be the last time an all-white jury can put a young ma- black man to death based on crooked bullshit. But that might- well, At least
1: in Massachusetts. And that's because of um, Lawyer Johnson's work after he was exonerated, right? And yeah. so he made his way and then he, ha- he did uh, work with the legislators to secure this possibility of compensation that while he didn't get to have full benefit of it, it's possible it, it's an option for people you know going through that again, which I hope you know that's not happening. The bigger picture here could also be like get get those kind of prosecutors out of office, right? No kidding. My goodness.
0: Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at labbrodycreations.com and you can still use the code crimexs for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram at truecrimexs, or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252 365 5593. You can also reach us at gmail at truecrimexs at gmail.com and you can check out our website at www.truecrime excess.com. We'll see you next time. All right, so I'm going to tell you guys uh, a few things about some of the folks who are helping sponsor our show. Now, Labrati Creation sponsors our show, and you can always use the Crime CrimeXS code there. Um, you can also just message them uh, at uh Labratti creations and they will generally do something for the people who come from true crime excess they were our very first sponsor they've done a lot for the show and that code is crime at labrani the first new advertisers that we have and i've i've selected all of these guys i've selected all of these advertisers So the very first one is Cure. Now, I'm going to tell you guys about this, uh, about Cure as being one of our sponsors. If you're an athlete, you know that proper hydration is key to peak performance. But plain water can be boring, and sports drinks can be filled with artificial ingredients and added sugars. That's why we love Cure. It's a clean and effective way to stay hydrated and perform at your best. I use it late in the day when I switch out of caffeine mode. Specifically, when I hit the pool or I go play tennis with my wife, I use Cure to help me stay hydrated. It helps me recover after a long day. Now, you guys may not know this, but I build things. Right now, I've been building several structures on our property out here. Among those is a new podcast studio space for myself. I do a lot of that work at night and into the wee hours, and I always have some Cure with me to go into my aluminum water bottle. Hydration is not just about filling up my aluminum bottle with water. Cure Hydration is an oral rehydration solution that contains the perfect balance of electrolytes and glucose to help your body absorb water and rehydrate quickly. Whether I'm building things or putting the podcast together or chasing these dogs that you sometimes hear in my studio up and down the trails to get them worn out, Cure Hydration is the way that I choose to go. Cure Hydration is an oral rehydration solution, or an ORS, that contains the perfect balance of electrolytes and glucose to help your body absorb water and to rehydrate quickly. The formula is made with all natural ingredients like coconut water powder and pink Himalayan salt. It's free from artificial flavors, from sweeteners and preservatives. Cure Hydration is vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO, making it a great option for anyone with dietary restrictions or preferences. The packets are convenient and easy to use. You just mix them with your water and you drink. They're perfect for on-the-go. They're perfect for travel. And anytime you need a quick and effective hydration boost, ready to combat dehydration, then you try Cure today and feel the difference for yourself, you can use code XS for 20% off your order. That's T-R-U-E-C-R-I-M-E, X-S. I have a link that I'm putting in the most recent episode show notes, and excess will get you 20% off. Our second sponsor for the show today is Laird. Now, Laird has a list of things that they want me to tell you about. They have better ingredients with amazing taste and functional benefits. They have a superfood creamer crafted from the highest quality, all-natural, real food ingredients. All Laird products are sustainably sourced and thoroughly tested to ensure that you're incorporating the cleanest, finest fuel into your routine. They have all-natural, whole food ingredients, and they contain naturally occurring MCTs made from coconut oil. There's no artificial flavors, there's no colors or additives, and there's no sugar from highly refined corn syrup. They want me to talk about my love of coffee, but the truth is, I don't do much with coffee. But let me tell you someone who does. My wife has to have a cup of coffee every day. Now, I've fallen off recently, but one of the big things that I've done since the beginning of our relationship is she used to go and get a Starbucks every morning. I have substituted that out by always trying to make her coffee. It's not going to be every single day of time from when I met her, but for the most part, almost every day, I make her coffee. I put her creamers together, and I make sure that she has a good way to start her day. So with Laird, he started experimenting with his morning ritual almost two decades ago. He found that when he started adding fats to his morning cup, like coconut oil, he had amazing energy throughout the rest of his day. He gradually perfected this recipe for an epic cup of fuel, and he began sharing it with his friends in the surf community. I'm an ocean guy, so I saw this item, and I was like, okay, we're going to try this one out. Are you ready to feel more energized, more focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. And you can use our promo code at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. Our offer code for this for Laird is going to be True Crime XS. Pretty much everywhere except for Labrador Creations, if you use True Crime XS, that will get you, at uh, Laird, will get you 15% off. At some of the other places, I'll get you 20% off. Uh, I'm going to tell you about two more uh, sponsors today. So the first one is, uh, the third one is Liquid IV. So let's talk about the real reasons that you need to hydrate. Late night TV binging, back-to-back Zoom meetings, going on a walk with your friends. Everyday hydration is not just for high energy, athletic endeavors. Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. It's now available in sugar-free. This is years in the making, but Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free uses a proprietary zero sugar hydration solution with no artificial sweeteners. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, but it's also got eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone. Keep your daily routine exciting with three new flavors. They've got white peach, green grape, and lemon lime. I love all of these flavors, but I think that my favorite is probably the green grape. Uh, White peach I use as a secondary flavor, and lemon lime I leave here for my my kids and my wife. Uh, Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. They also partner with leading organizations to fund and foster innovative solutions that help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. You can get 20% off when you grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free or any other variant at liquidiv.com and use code TrueCrimeAccess at checkout. That's twenty percent off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code TrueCrimeAccess at liquidiv.com. And the last sponsor I want to tell you about is Zencaster. We are part of Zencaster's creative network. We've been using Zencaster since about midway into our first season. Uh, Meg and I experimented with a lot of different ways to put the podcast together. And the truth is Zencaster was an an integral ingredient to us being able to bring you this show. It's so easy. It's now super easy. You can record a podcast with Zencaster. You can log in using your browser and you start recording a high quality podcast right away. You can record studio quality sound and up to 4k video with your guest. You get to feel a sense of zen, knowing that Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you will always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. You sound your best. I mean, if you've ever worried about what you sound like, Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes those ums and ahs in your recordings. It removes those awkward pauses and conversation too. You can set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. That's how you don't hear my dogs every uh, second of every episode. Zencaster is all in one. If you've thought about podcasting before and realized that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are now over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and you can distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other ma- major destinations. Just go to zencaster.com/pricing and use my code truecrimeaccess and you're going to get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. You can also check out the other plans they have available. I want you to have the same easy experiences that I do for all my podcasting and content needs. So zincaster.com slash pricing. The offer code is true crime access, and it's time for you to share your story today. Uh, we are also adding new era As a uh, sponsor for the show, New Era Cap is a headwear and apparel brand founded in 1920 in Buffalo, New York. Now, uh, I actually have some experience with New Era Caps. My dad and I have been through multiple iterations of baseball caps through the years. We collect different styles, different eras. And then my teenager has started his own cap collection and has several new eras as the centerpieces. Our favorite teams may not be the same, but our outfits are all topped with the same New Era ball caps. Uh, We love the quality and the ability to wear what the players are wearing. Not to mention, New Era is the leading headwear manufacturer with quality licensed products. You can support your favorite college or pro team in style from the official headwear provider for the MLB, NFL, and NBA. You can get a stylish accessory for your everyday ensemble and support True Crime XS. Just shop the official headwear and get 15% off when you go to neweracap.com. That's N-E-W-E-R-A-C-A-P.com slash True You can also use the code True at checkout. That's it. That's all you have to do. And that's 15% off your order using the promo code truecrimexs.